2: Hello my friend, I hope you are well. Welcome to Catch Up with Louise MacSharry. Welcome back if you're a returning listener and to you I am eternally grateful or welcome for the first time if this is the, the very first time that you've decided to press play on this. Thank you for being here. This is a podcast that's all about catching you up on the week so if you haven't been paying attention, absolutely no problem. We'll catch you up on the news, we will catch you up on what someone interesting has had to say and we'll catch you up on entertainment as well so you can head into the weekend or whatever day you're listening and um, fully informed and ready for any conversation that might come your way um, I hope you had a good week I had a bit of a wild one actually um, last week I was recording these bits of this podcast in a hotel room in London because I was going to my management company's Christmas party which was loads of fun And then I was supposed to be flying home the next night, the Friday evening, and I did not. If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen. Um, We, our flight was delayed and then it was cancelled and then we ended up in like a Holiday Inn Express. Let me tell you, one of the grimmest places I've ever been in my entire life. Sorry, Holiday Inn Express, but it's true. At Heathrow Airport. And then, um, you know, as you know, there was just total travel chaos. I was not the only person impacted by this. There were people stuck all over Europe trying to get home to Dublin. People stuck in lots of different places. People stuck in Dublin who wanted to be somewhere and people who had much more important things going on than me. So I very much have perspective on this but I was in Heathrow Airport all day Saturday, finally got home after 11 on Saturday night. It was quite the rigmarole. So if you were caught up in all of that, you have my fullest sympathies. Um, and that was kind of the guts of the weekend. We did loads of Christmas stuff with the kids on Sunday, which was really nice. couple of Santa visits, because of course, you know, you can see more than one Santa in a day because Santa has helpers everywhere who, who chat to kids for him. And you just never know where you're gonna, when you're going to can you tell I get a bit nervous talking about this? <laughs> you never know when you're going to get the real Santa, but sometimes you will get the real Santa. That's 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 the situation, right? That's the situation. So that was our situation on Sunday. um, And it was really nice. It was really nice, really fun. Um, and then other than that, I went to Other Voices Home last night, which was on in the Guinness Storehouse. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, brilliant, like diverse range of performers from, you know, proper rock and roll from the Murder Capital, Koji Radical doing hip hop. And he had, Um, Some trad music, and then Sigrid was right in front of me. Like, I mean, right in front of me singing her songs. Like, I knew Sigrid was good. Obviously, I knew Sigrid was good, but I was not prepared. Her voice is in incredible like she did not miss a note she and and she's an amazing performer she's got such incredible presence i was really blown away by her and i will be listening to a lot of cigarette over the next few days and felt uh, super lucky to be there it was a really lovely thing i think the stream is still available if you check out the other voices youtube i think it's up for 30 days um, and i'd say it would be a really nice way to spend 90 minutes to be honest there's a bit of chats and um, really good stuff and um, well that's kind of the guts of it, really. And um, we've got lots of stuff coming up, so I don't want to babble on for too long. But I do want to just remind you that we now have a phone, you and I, uh, where we can communicate with each other. If you want to get in touch, the number is 089-209-6423. Thank you so much to everyone who has sent in voice notes. I've actually gotten so many that I think I'm going to do an extra episode where I respond to them. Because I've been playing some at the end and I'm going to continue to do that. But sometimes things really warrant a response. Um, So do send away. Send the voice notes. Send them to WhatsApp or regular message. 089-209-6423 is the number. But now let's get the latest on the news. Eva Moore political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland I always have a hard time saying political political <laughs> in my mouth is always like no um, anyway it is so nice to have you on the podcast and once again well, where would we be without you um and we've got lots of news to talk about things I feel like are gonna wind down now though like I don't know I what mean, we're gonna be talking I have about very little left in the tank to give <laughs> at this
3: stage <laughs>
2: <laughs> well I well Good for you, then, that things will wind down. Yes. Um, but for now, we do have lots to talk about. And let's start with the weather because...
4: It's cold. Yeah, it's really cold. Really cold. Yeah, so we were told yesterday, well, we were told during the week, so right, that temperatures could go as low as minus 11. So we had a status orange low temperature warning for 19 counties. Mm. Um, it came on day effect on Wednesday night. Um, so it's mostly Leinster and Munster. And, you know, this is the time of year as well. Where we hear lots about car accidents and mm. people not like people slipping and falling and all that sort of stuff. But Ireland being in the social crisis that it is, there is no bigger fears about homeless people. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of rough sleepers in this country and at minus 11 degrees, nobody should yeah. be sleeping outside. So outreach groups are saying that they're doing all they can to ensure people sleeping rough can be taken in. Last year, they were at a point we had a section people so they could be brought into mental health facilities so they weren't sleeping on the street. These were not people with active mental health problems, mm. but they had to be sectioned so they could be brought in. Yeah. Um, like A lot of people,
2: uh, from anecdotally, from what I hear, there are a lot of people who are, you know, who, i want to be careful how i say this there are some people mm-hmm. who live in homelessness by choice yes and who struggle to engage with services yeah and well, it's not that they're mentally ill yeah. it's a decision that they've made based yeah. on previous experience
4: well, what it used to be um was we used to have wet and dry hostels yeah. um and when the homeless crisis got worse alan kelly from the labor party he was the housing minister at the time he got rid of wet and dry hostels so now they're all wet hostels, basically. And if you are trying to get clean or stay sober, a lot of people don't want to go into the hostels because there's a lot of active drug use there or drink mm. and they don't want to be in there. So that's why a lot of people choose to stay in tents. Also, the hostels are not very nice places. People mm. have been attacked there, been robbed. Mm. So that's why a lot of people choose to sleep rough and they don't want to go into the hostels. Yes. But Thank what's... you for articulating that no way better problem.
2: than I did. I was going to, or I was trying to.
4: <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just... Another issue that obviously housing has become every issue is affected by housing. This is another one. Um, the other thing about the weather has been Dublin Airport, our yes. favorite place <laughs> in the world. So, as many people will have seen on your Instagram, you had quite the journey it last did. week. So, Dublin Airport, um, with all the respect in the world, has been a total mess. Um, They've had a bad year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, a really, bad Ellen DeGeneres and Janice in Dublin Airport just. <laughs> just they they could do a christmas break to be honest Mm. so every year it gets very cold and every year there is a massive mess when it comes to travel um dublin airport has been terrible listen they can't do anything about the weather but it seemed that they were not prepared mary Lou mcdonald the leader of the opposition said this week that Eamon ryan was asleep at the wheel um, and then I don't know if the Taoiseach did it on purpose, but he said at least three times that Eamon Ryan is very much awake. No, Eamon Ryan very famously yeah. falls asleep <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Which like, I have to say, I have great empathy for because once I'm sleepy, I'm falling yeah, asleep. It doesn't I not matter where. Say, this is some like insider knowledge, but the falling asleep thing with Eamon Ryan is not a ministerial thing. Like there, I have many friends in the Green Party who say that man will fall asleep anywhere like he's he famously falls asleep yeah um so it's not a monasterial thing but yeah the Taoiseach said repeatedly Eamon Ryan is very much awake and I think he was kind of leaning into the sleepy Eamon Ryan thing but um yeah there are contingency plans but travel is going to be disrupted this year that's just about it yeah I mean it is really cold and do you know what i couldn't get over yesterday
2: um i'm i borrowed my mom's car so i was driving over or i just got the bus over to my parents house who and they live over like the south side of the city close to the dublin mountains i don't know why i'm being sketchy about it they live in knock Lyon. like
4: you're, <laughs> you're
2: not gonna find their house <laughs> <laughs> but they live in knock lion and um i live in Phibsborough. and so i couldn't get over the difference in between Lion and Fisber, in terms of the amount of snow, snow and the amount yeah. of ice, wild like. I mean, it's something mm. like I think it's like eight kilometers apart or something, yeah. nine kilometers. But, but is it something to do with the mountains? I well, I said to my dad, I was like, maybe it's the altitude, and he laughed in my face. He was like, no, I think we just got different weather. And I was like, really? This is Louise
4: and Eva. Science. <laughs> <laughs> We're famously good at science. Science and sports. <laughs> anyway, um, just.
2: Stay safe out there, (laughs) pals, and um, if you can afford to, I would implore you to make a donation um, to Focus Ireland Mm. or the Capuchin Centre, Capuchin Centre? Capuchin Centre. Sorry, I don't know why I can't speak anymore, because I heard on the news just as I was on my way here that apparently the Capuchin Centre, Capuchin Centre, I can't do it, um, had like an absolute melee yesterday when they were giving out tickets to their Christmas dinner because so many people were desperate to go. That's terrible. and like that's the situation that we're in and uh, frankly I think it's disgusting and disgraceful and totally unacceptable given the fact that we've had a year where we've had politicians boasting about our growth in terms of our GDP and how our you know economy is in rude health and putting money into a rainy day fund babes the rainy day is now people are fighting yes. for Christmas dinner like we're what are in a, you doing
4: complete and utter social crisis honestly that's
2: anyway I won't, I won't go continue down that
0: road because
2: we've got more to talk about. What's, we don't have to spend a lot of time in this, Aoife, but like there was a whole lot of chat about planning. This is so dull. Uh, yeah. Just Do we even need
4: to know? Basically, I'll give you a long story short. The Green Party is looking to change the planning and regulation bowl because they want to make it easier and give access to justice for residence groups and NGOs who are worried about environmental issues being affected by housing okay so that's that's right okay yeah. boring moving on no fence green party
2: but like it's not worth talking about here um I was surprised by this. There was a report out this week which found that social media influencers, of which I am one, sometimes very um, famous, fail to label half of advertisements. Advertisements. What is (laughs) wrong with me? Are you high? No, I'm so not.
4: I'm probably the healthiest I've been in weeks on this podcast. I would like to say that I'm hungover and Louise isn't, and she can't talk. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Oh my God! They shambles. <laughs> um.
2: Anyway, social media. According to this, watch the advertising watchdog. Social media influencers fail to label half of advertisements.
4: Yeah, I wasn't shocked. It's this is more your world than mine. Yeah. I don't follow a lot of influencers. Um. But yeah, so the CCPC, the okay, compi- humble brag, yeah, <laughs> Competition and Consumer Protection Commission said that uh, 10% of Irish influencers are tagging things as gifted on like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and Snapchat and they want to do more to make social media companies facilitate reporting of hidden ads and misleading ads. So 77% of people surveyed said they find influencer ads easy to identify. However, when several examples of influencer marketing caused confusion among focus groups, they said the state regulators said that um, people are more vulnerable than they think they are well, to these ads. So the thing about this is, right, I mean, the the rules are very clear. So if you
2: are paid money to mm. post about something, you have to label that and you can yeah. be taken you can be fined like there can be serious consequences yeah. if you don't
4: and you have to put the like is that the we like start the asterisk and that's like paid
2: no oh. we don't have to do oh no that's that's the uk okay so here it needs to be labeled as an ad oh so okay. it can be spawn it can be hashtag sponsored it can be hashtag ad it can be hashtag paid partnership it can be labeled officially on instagram as a paid partnership if you're paid that's how it works in the uk you also have to identify if you've been gifted something in pure do right? we don't have to do that? We don't have to do that. Okay. So, you know, I I do it most of the time. Mm. Um, sometimes I don't. It's not on purpose, but yeah. like I, I'm pretty clear, I think, yeah. about the fact that things are, you know, given to me. Um Louise famously doesn't pay for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, that is not true. I paid for every item of clothing I'm wearing, and which is more bring, than I can say for some people. And you did bring me a can of Coke. And so. I brought exactly. Which I also paid for. I paid for this equipment. I pay for loads of things. I am very fortunate though because part of being yeah. in, the, in the kind of work that I do, it does mean that you do get, you get a packages. Lot of and yeah, yeah, exactly, you do. And it's part of it. And it's, you know, a real privilege. But you do have a responsibility to be transparent about it. Like, I think there's yeah. a difference between like saying, oh, thank you. Like, so like I might say, thank you, um... ASOS not that ASOS are giving me stuff but thank you ASOS for this jacket now if it was that I would put a little hashtag PR and most of the time I do but the yeah. odd time maybe I might forget but like if they haven't paid me hmm or if we don't have an agreement, if yes. there's if there's a, an explicit agreement and they say, if we give you this jacket, will you post? Then that has to be labeled an ad. Yes. Yes. But if something just arrives and there's been no yeah. conversation about it, you don't technically have to label it. So I can understand that people might be confused around that. But is, if there are influencers out there literally doing ads and not, not labeling them, I find that shocking because yeah. the rules are clear.
4: And I think the thing about it is, the thing that bothered me more was that people, there was, I think, a quarter of people said that they felt misled by products. Yeah, that's not cool. That's not cool. No. Like if an influencer is saying like I wear X fake tan and this is what I look like and then you buy the fake tan it's obviously not what they're wearing yeah like that's bullshit like yeah that's-
2: and I I read that here and I read that there are people who've bought bought products um on the basis of an influencer's yeah. recommendation and being disappointed and I was like a little bit of my heart just went Ugh. like I that would kill me mm. because I take very seriously the fact that I, I mean I have a complicated relationship with my work as an influencer mm. to be honest um. Like I need it to mm. pay for my children um, and I will continue to do it. But I'm very picky about who I do it with. It has to be, I have to have a genuine respect for the product yeah. or a connection with the with the brand or whatever. Um, the idea of someone taking their hard earned money mm. and spending it on something, is something I take very seriously. So if you, if someone comes back to me and says something doesn't work for them, I feel that personally. Yeah. It's the idea of intentionally misleading people, and I see it happen all the time yeah. where people are like, Look how beautiful my skin looks, and they've clearly got a filter on. Yeah. Like that's really dodgy. And the
4: other thing that they were saying is getting really dodgy is this thing called Finfluencers. I have never heard of this because famously don't have any money, but yeah. these people who like promote crypto and yes. other. Financial products, credit cards, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Kim
2: Kardashian. When are you going to oh, have yes. enough money,
4: Kim? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Well, again, I unfollowed hers. But yeah, the, this is not regulated by anyone, and these people aren't experts. So it could be yeah. really dangerous because people could then l- actively lose money. Well, once again,
2: I literally heard on the news on the way over here that four influencers, Finfluencers, are being have been prosecuted are being prosecuted or whatever or something not in Ireland but these guys who are being are in huge trouble for basically doing what they call a pump and dump where they yes, um, inflate the price of a stock mm-hmm. and then so that they can secretly and quietly sell theirs at the yep. high price and they apparently made 140 million dollars from doing this but now they've been investigated and they're being taken to task.
4: Donald Trump used to do that. So he used he to like phone the New Yorker and phone the New York Times and be like, I heard Donald Trump is going to buy X company and then it would inflate the stock price and then he would sell all his stock. Fuck that guy, man. Yeah, I know.
2: I mean, I can't lie. I am kind of jealous. <laughs> I mean, wh- who suffers there? Rich people? No, I'm only joking. I know that there are we normal people so with normal money. I'm not cutting it. I'm not cutting it. I said it. But I was joking because I, obviously I know that there are lots of normal people who were impacted by this stuff as well. And Donald Trump... Should disappear, frankly. Yeah, me too. Um, Okay, now, um, every once in a while, I like to throw a little showbiz news crossover oh. into the mix just as a treat for you, Aoife. And today is one of those days. Uh, Megan Thee Stallion versus Tory Lanez.
4: Yeah, so I know who Megan the Stallion is. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, famously very hot uh, rapper. Uh, Grammy winner Megan Thee Stallion was shot last year by her boyfriend, a rapper called Tory Lanez. Well, allegedly. Allegedly. Sorry. He's gonna come for us now, but um, he they were having an argument. According to her testimony, they were having an argument, and he aimed a gun at her feet and told her to dance, and then shot five times. Now this was in the news at the time yeah. where she was shot, so this is now the court case, um, coming up. So she Megan The Stallion was saying like she's very she was in her early twenties, she was really scared. He offered her a million dollars not to tell anyone, um, and just to keep quiet. He has pled not guilty to distort, discharging a firearm with gross, gross negligence assault with a semi-automatic firearm and carrying a loaded unregistered firearm in a vehicle. Um, the, It started a wider conversation about, the fa- about domestic violence in hip-hop and rap music. Mm. There had been a number of songs that had referenced this after mm. kind of taking the piss out of yeah. Megan Thee Stallion. And... Like at the end of the day, this is domestic violence. It's not funny. Like the girl is very traumatized, and like her testimony when said that she was very, very traumatized. Yeah, right. I mean, and her after it. it's it's all across her new album as well. Like you yeah. only have to listen to the music to hear it. So the case is ongoing, but yeah. So she's testified that he shot her. Yeah. So he, I, I, I
2: watched some TikToks <laughs> from a lawyer who was like there at the case, at the case, at the trial. Um, wow what is wrong with me I'm malfunctioning Um, and he basically was saying that in the opening statements the prosecution was like this is open and shut he shot her like that's Mm -hmm. it and then the the defense got up and had all this like well we don't know that he shot her like yes there's all these voice notes of him saying sorry but we don't know what he's saying sorry for Mm. like he could be saying sorry for all kinds of things and actually this was a jealousy thing and um, Megan kept stealing uh, Carrie this other girl who was there kept stealing her men and that's why she was shot. And like, the, so, you know, it's, it's wild. The way that the defense are trying to kind of spin this is wild. Yeah. But this lawyer who was there was saying, to be honest, like if they're trying to place reasonable date, they're doing a pretty good job. Oh, really? Yeah. God, that's disgusting. Isn't it? Yeah. We'll wait and see. Um, okay, now, next and finally, this is interesting. New Zealand has passed as the world's first tobacco law to totally ban smoking by 2025.
4: Yes, yeah, so it's an age-related thing. Yeah. So they have kind of signaled that they've been doing this for years and mm. Ireland has also talked about doing this. Yeah. But it's a steadily rising smoking age. Mm. They stopped those 14 and under. So the way it works is... After so, if you were born after the first of January two thousand nine, you will never be allowed to buy cigarettes legally. Legally, yeah, yeah. Listen, prohibition doesn't work. It doesn't. Famousy successful doesn't work with drugs. It doesn't work with sex work. Um, you're not going to stop demand. I don't know how much this is going to make a difference. I think obviously, if less kids are smoking, that's great. Mm, Whatever yeah, I'm sure they're all flat out in the old elf bars. The velt. The velt. Va- the, the vapes. Vilps. The vapes. So yeah, it's basically prohibition. They said that um the number of stores legally allowed to sell cigarettes will be reduced to a tenth. So it's gone from six thousand to just six hundred nationwide. And they said that it'll save them five billion dollars a year in the health system because of less smoking related illnesses, mm. all this sort of stuff. I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously it would be great if it worked. But it's just hard to imagine. The smoking ban worked though. Like people always said, we were like the smoking van's never going to work. People want to smoke in pubs. People are never going to, you know. But less people smoke, now. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm skeptical, and it's coming here. Like Michael Martin has said that he would like to bring it in here. Who famously yeah. brought in the smoking ban? He talks about it all the time. He was the health minister that brought in yeah. the smoking ban. Yeah. But they they want to bring it. They've looked and they bring it in here too. It would be great to get rid of smoking. I mean, obviously, I'm
2: all yeah. for that, I and mean, I mean, it would also be great to get rid of the vapes.
4: Exactly. I um, mean...
2: Because they're the
3: new...
4: People are saying now that young people are taking up smoking to get off vapes. Because they were saying, like, I only smoke when I drink, but I vape 24-7. And it can't be better for me. Oh, my God. So they're taking up smoking now to get off vapes. <sighs> oh, Jesus Christ. Well... This uh, this part of the show has been a journey. <laughs> yeah. you're
2: welcome, listeners. Sorry, I don't know what's wrong what's right.
4: Louise is demanding.
2: Yeah, but you have functioned perfectly. I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed it, my <laughs> friends. Um, thank you so much. Even more political correspondent, for The Sunday Times Ireland. <laughs> Sean Fay is a writer from Bristol and one of the UK's leading commentators on trans politics, although I, I would argue one of the world's uh, leading commentators, actually, on trans politics. Her first book, The Transgender Issue, which came out last year, was an instant Sunday Times bestseller and has been published widely around the world to huge acclaim. Sean is also an advice columnist for Vogue and is currently working on her second book, Love and Exile, which you'll hear more about in a minute. And look, I'll be honest, along with being excited, I was a little nervous to chat to on because she is so incredibly intelligent and articulate and beautiful but that's an aside um but I was I was yeah I was a little nervous but I needn't have been um I wholly wholly enjoyed our conversation which happened at Ireland's Edge in Dingle um which is a conference that happens at Dingle. It's sometimes called the Ideas Wing of Other Voices. Um, it all happens on the one weekend, which is why Dingle is such a special place to be that weekend. So Sean was speaking at Ireland's Edge, and you can hear more from her on Ireland's Edge's accompanying podcast, which will be out in January. But for now, I really hope you enjoy our chat. So when you were when it was suggested to me that I might have the opportunity to interview you, um, you were referred to as a trans justice campaigner, and I wondered how you feel about that label.
1: <laughs> um, well, first of all, it's like I think it sounds it sounds really noble. It makes me sound like a superhero. It does. <laughs> <laughs> trans justice. Um, I I accept actually why to some people externally they might apply that label, mm-hmm. um, because. Uh, I as much as I so there's a difference there there's there's a labels that perhaps I can see why people might perceive me that way it's not necessarily how I see myself I see myself first and foremost as a writer mm. um, and I kind of knew one of the sort of reservations about writing a book like this I think for a lot of minority writers is that you go through that struggle but like, I don't want to be constantly framed in terms of my identity yeah. nevertheless the kind of that was overridden by the the urge and need I felt to write the book I did Mm. um and I felt like I would deal with that after the book came out in my future work which is what I'm hoping to do in future work um and yeah despite the fact that I regularly get people to take particularly activists not so much campaigner but activists out of bios Mm. because that seems to be how we like frame anyone from a minority experience who talks about wanting some kind of equality or justice yeah um I do I, I do sort of understand how in the mainstream when there are so few uh trans voices confident trans voices mm-hmm. um that you sort of yeah you get singled out in that way
2: yeah
1: um and to be honest yeah I'm trying not to be too um I don't know petulant about it because it's not it's not a negative thing it's just it feels a little bit overwhelming I don't really feel worthy of it as well at the yeah.
2: same time. I, it's funny because I've had this conversation with people kind of over and over again um, on this podcast people from various kind of minority groups who because they have a, a public voice end up kind of categorized that way because obviously if there is a need to highlight a lack of anything in terms of the way that people like you are being treated and you feel pe- like empowered to speak then of course you will if you have a platform but that can be a challenge I think when you want to talk about other things as well or be known for other things in addition to that
1: yeah and I think the thing is because campaigner right like it evokes this idea that like perhaps in the UK context that I'm I don't know sending off letters to members of parliament or whatever, like I'm organizing marches on Westminster or you know anything that I would associate with like the term campaigner, which is a little bit more civilized than activist. And in some ways it's like, mm, yeah, because campaigning sounds very much like consumed with legal rights. And I think I'm, I'm much more interested in, yeah, like a more um, holistic view of social inequality, especially, you know, like economic inequality, which isn't just a matter of new, new laws. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like I say, I see myself primarily as a writer. Mm. Um, in the same way that I guess, uh, yeah, I think I think I think you're right. Like a lot of people, like Reniėdo Loggio who wrote um, "Why well, I'm No Longer Talking to White People About yeah. Race," her book was a big inspiration for mine, especially at the outset. Mm. And um, I think she would feel the same way because I've heard her say on podcasts, and, and it's something I strongly identified with, was that like I want to be judged on you know not just on the political ideas in the book, but simultaneously that like, my the medium I choose to work through is
2: sure.
1: is writing, like it's a piece of literature as well. Mm-hmm. It's hopefully designed to provoke, to um to inspire. Mm. I would love the idea that it's a tool for you know, perhaps future generations of campaigners and activists, mm. uh, and I do hope that, like, it's got almost an invisible life that's nothing to do with me now, that yeah. book, they will have an influence on people who will become um, significant to the cause, if you yeah. like. Nevertheless, like, like, yeah, it's it's a piece of artistic expression as well. Yes, I mean, yeah. it doesn't... See, it's not the same as a novel in the sense that um, it's trying to advance a social cause. I do get that. But... Um, yeah, I, I am. I am primarily doing it as well as an expression of yeah. kind of my ideas. And I think we have that division with fiction and nonfiction. But for me, I think uh, nonfiction allows you to discuss ideas in a, in an explicit way. But it also, yeah, it's it's about. Um, it's a, it's an exercise in imagining a world that's different from the one in which we live and so it still has a lot of the imaginative capacity of like more literary writing
2: yeah and it's not an academic essay like no it's, no there's <laughs> obviously a lot of yeah. actual talent and creativity that goes into coming up with and, and putting together a book like this I think it's interesting the way you spoke about it there because it does despite the fact that it is a great work I think of writing it does feel like a very useful tool and I'm interested to know how you have found people's reception of it and um, I think obviously a lot of trans people would be excited to read a book by you and you know you were so admired but really when I read the book I felt like it should be cis people who read this.
1: Yeah, I mean I wrote it. I wrote it primarily actually for cis people. I mean just because it's a mass market paperback mm. and I and and the purpose of it is that like as the book says itself like trans people we don't have the number when when we're too small in number and yeah. also too uh, small in power mm-hmm. to um to be able to be like the the sole agents of our own liberation yeah. um i think we should be at the forefront of our own liberation obviously but i think it 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 will come with the solidarity of other people mm-hmm. and i am um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, like, realistically, the people it needed to read, like, actually, I'm kind of fine when trans people have seen, like, reviews on Goodreads. I don't really read them often, but I, I remember reading some over the summer. That like, some trans people will be like, yeah, I'm glad this book exists, but it was nothing I didn't know already. Yes. And it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense to yeah. me. That's kind of what I thought. Um, but I was aware that the kind of scale of the platform being offered to me by a book dealer, Penguin or whatever, Um. Was an opportunity to present these things that weren't familiar to the average cis yeah. person. So for me, yeah, it was very important that it was its readership was cisgender. Yeah, um, and I think there are really great writers who, like someone like um, my friend Travis Alabanza, yeah. makes work that like does actually appeal a lot to cis people. But they really have these quite sophisticated conversations, even for trans people among ourselves. Yeah. and I really enjoy reading that type of writing myself. But I mm. was aware that I wanted. There to be that bridge yeah. to the mainstream.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and the the thing about in terms of cis people reading it, what's been really interesting, like well, actually the most I have so many I've had so many messages and um emails and whatever DMs um in the years over a year since it was published. Uh the ones that like probably mean the most to me, I mean there is like a recently a trans woman, she's only 18. Messaged me, and like the thing is, for an 18 year old trans girl, like I'm actually, you know, I'm almost 35, you know, kind of that probably not that, they've grown up in a very different context than I grew up in. They're vaguely aware of who I am, but they're not, you know, quite rightly not that interested. But she DM'd me because her mother had read the book, Mm. and she actually sent me a screenshot of her mother's text to her, which were more or less was basically like, I read this book and I I sort of get it a bit more now. And she felt like moved to contact me. And I like those things do mean a lot to me because in, in many ways that's making a change to her life
2: 100% you know
1: that she doesn't is saving her conversation she doesn't have to have or, yeah. or experiences that she doesn't particularly want to have
2: well it kind of in a way comes back to the, the where we started in the conversation because it shouldn't be that every trans person has to be an activist or campaigner mm. you know they shouldn't have to explain everything you know it should be cis people who are making the effort to understand because you know that's too much work frankly for the trans community <laughs> to ever be able to do and um, I'm, I'm interested to know, obviously, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago that we were watching the hideous discourse that's happening in the UK around feminism and trans women and all of that stuff mm. from Ireland and kind of saying, oh, we're not like that, though. And now I don't think we can say that, unfortunately. It has definitely infiltrated into our media, our society. I'm interested to know if you've seen this happening and what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah, I have seen parts of it happening. I mean, I <clears throat> I was due one of the things in promoting the book. I had, an, I was going to do an interview with the Irish Times mm. and I withdrew from that interview because there's the tra- Irish Trans Writers Union and they uh, were... Organising, they had organised a boycott of um, the Irish Times, and I will obviously respect like that. It's an it's an a union of trans writers based in Ireland, so if they are um, using that strategy, then obviously I was going to be. I was like, I'm not going to, (laughs) I'm not going to go across that that picket line. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, obviously around that, I became like aware, and I knew that some of the articles that they were referring to, um, there have been obviously some. You know, I think so i'm I'm aware of that I'm obviously aware of uh, the ways in which british anti trans feminist discourse is trying to export itself um, it's attempted I was on tour in Spain with the Spanish version of the book and when they were when they were having a public debate about their gender recognition laws there was obviously a gender critical movement in Spain that was using um, propaganda that was actually written in England in translation. Um, so we are, you know, it wasn't, it didn't quite translate successfully because they passed yeah. their, their gender recognition laws. But uh, certainly, there's an attempt to export it. and It would make sense that we would export it more readily to like our nearest neighbour.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, also, there are obviously like quite there are a couple of prominent um, voices within that movement who are Irish. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Unfortunately. <laughs> and yeah. and um,
1: so so yeah, I mean, I think I don't know what you would think about this because you would have probably a better awareness. You say you couldn't say that now. I think. The, the, there's a couple of other things too, isn't there? Like, for example, with regards to to, to children, and young people, yeah. um, pediatric pediatric gender affirming care and stuff, is that the uh, clinical center for that in Ireland is like a almost like a um, extension of the Tavistock in yeah. London. So that so any kind of um, de- quote unquote debate or controversy surrounding the, that service in England was probably naturally going to spread yeah. to Ireland. Um, the only thing I can th- think that maybe it won't become as vociferous here, and I might be wrong, is because uh, in 2015 Ireland um, passed its own Gender Recognition Act. Exactly. So there isn't like a live public policy debate that can hook on, that it can hook onto because it's yeah. kind of like, well...
2: It's already happened. It's already happened.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I think
2: that's that was the thing that that was why I think maybe some of us were a little bit cocky about, you know, well we're not like that when this all this stuff started in the UK because it was like well we already have gender recognition and and we it, we have had no problems, you know, like I I I have written about it, and, you know, many of my my compatriots have written about it and have said like where is the issue? There is no issue. Like you can't point at a problem here because it doesn't exist. And yet it's it's still kind of growing in it's very frustrating um and i can't imagine i mean well i've spoken to lots of trans people about how it's affecting them but I, you know obviously i can only imagine what it must actually feel like um i don't know what we do except to continue to provide counterpoint um where possible
1: yeah i think so and i think for i think it's important when cisgender feminists do that um you know again and again and again in all contexts like yeah. it's sort of laborious and repetitive but that's the nature of it like i think that is des- like particularly i think <clears throat> with the kind of gender critical strain of transphobia yeah. i mean i think there's a global anti-gender movement that like emanates from uh, really right-wing sentiments yes. like um obviously like in hungary for example in europe is that the far right there are like where they are in power are very obsessed with trans people but obviously in the u.s the christian right obviously um are obsessed with gender conformity, right, from women's reproductive rights yeah. through to uh, gay people and then to to real, a real attack on trans bodily autonomy at the same mm. time. Um, so there is a kind of global anti-gender movement, which is using a variety of tactics mm. and discourses in the same way that, like, obviously with the repeal, the eighth campaign here, is yeah. that I think there was evidence that, like, American... Yes. Um, Anti abortion campaigners were trying to use um, Ireland as almost like a petri dish or like yep. test to, like a microcosm to see Absolutely. if they could finance um, an effective campaign. And similarly, I think, you know, it's not a tinfoil hat situation to say that's happening with uh, often trans people are like a, a weak link that's leading all the way yeah. to like full. Um, no contraception, no abortion.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. I think that's very clear that, like, all of these things are connected. Like, you know, these people will take advantage of any kind of contentious, or what they view as a contentious moral issue um, and take advantage of that to try and and gain power in people. And it's happening. Like, I mean, you see it happening all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think with the the gender critical strain of it, which largely comes from, like, liberal and and some women who would even consider themselves left-wing historically, is that it's a particular... It does merge and there are, like, Odd echoes with the with the far right or right wing um, narratives, but obviously it has this like feminist hue to the transphobia. Yeah. Um, but I think probably you, you've been online for a while, and maybe anyone who's listening who's been online—they're not a very chill group. It's a very obsessive <laughs> no. movement. It's, if you, it's if you, so if,
4: embarrassing. If you, if you
1: attract like the, their attention for whatever reason, you know it's got the quality of quite like a you know like conspiracy theorists or or anti-vaxxers or whatever in its online manifestation is it's obsessive
2: obsessive so if
1: you attract their attention they will not leave you alone for days until you bought them you know well
2: yeah i mean even you know when i was sent like the guidelines for this interview one of the things is i won't mention your name on twitter when i'm talking about this podcast (laughs) episode because and i totally understand excuse me i totally understand that because it it, that's all it takes to rain down kind of a nightmare upon you i can't even imagine what that must be like
1: yeah it's quite stressful and i think i am very used to it and i've gone through various stages of it obviously now i don't use twitter anymore which mm. i think i got out a year before the elon musk takeover so i feel like i i left before it got chaotic Trendsetter. yeah <laughs> um, but um yeah they're an obsessive movement and the reason i mention that it's not just to bitch about them um but to yeah is that the for cisgender feminists the reason that like even though it's boring in a slog is when i say you have to kind of Again and again and again, refute and say, you know, not in my if you like, not in my name, or yeah. I don't agree with this, or what you know, you're not speaking for me. Is because uh one of the yeah the obsessive nature of that movement, I I always think is that these people talk about tra- when they get really committed to it, they talk about trans people non-stop. Yeah. I mean, they talk about like trans woman women and trans womanhood more often than I do, and I've written a book yeah. about it, and I am a trans woman, and like. I don't know, 25% of my friends are trans women, yet they do not, I do not think about trans women it's as so these people do, yeah. like, and and obviously they're thinking largely about like an imaginary enemy, but the, but I think the advantage that lends them is it's really hard to meet that obsessive energy because yeah. as, as trans, as a trans woman myself, I just feel like I can't, I, I don't want to get pulled into like, frankly, that like, um, I mean like yeah I mean I, it would just make me feel quite unwell yeah. to be that like <laughs> to be that involved in it um, well and, you do,
2: you want to have a life yeah exactly
1: <laughs> and and yeah and one that's not so focused on yeah. this and um and so, yes, I think it's really important for cisgender feminists to meet mm. the repeated attempts because yes. they would just keep trying, keep trying to entrench yes. these narratives and, and and get people to seed ground is to is yeah. to keep doing that. Yeah. Um,
2: it's like the devil works hard, but gender critical feminists work
1: harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a strange one. And now that I'm yeah not on um, Twitter is a big side of it. I can't. I have to say, as it's very like, um, yeah, of the moment um i i do wonder sometimes if twitter does collapse which i don't think will be as quick as some people think it will be but i wonder that would over quite a blow because i think that that yeah. movement is it has a specific characteristic of being quite an online conspiracy theory group mm. in the same way as QAnon. Yeah. and I know that would be controversial to say if that went on Twitter I would draw so much fire but <laughs> QAnon or anti-vaxxer or yeah. you know because um, it's that level
2: of intensity yeah yeah,
1: yeah. and a real real uh, belief and what um, oh, it's interesting because uh, I've been reading a little bit for other work about um, online conspiracy theories particularly stuff like um, people that believe we're gonna be a lot of them in COVID and people who tend to get drawn into conspiracy theories I found out um it's why it happened to a lot of like baby boomers In well, not a lot well a sizable portion um in during covid is it's often people who are already feeling isolated lonely mm. um have some kind of if you like lack mm. um and the the conspiracy theory particularly fed online and dipping into feeds something in them yeah. and takes hold quite quite silently and then yeah. often what's happened is that their kids you know people our age have have really struggled um, to have a, maintain a relationship with them whilst they're like, lost to this conspiracy theory. Um, and I think with, with gender-critical feminism and the, and the more conspiratorial, conspiracy theorist or conspiratorial elements to it, um, taps into like real anxieties that women have mm-hmm. about their own safety mm-hmm. and about um, austerity and lack of support for women fleeing mm-hmm. violence. The fact that look, feminism hasn't really done uh, much to quell the tide of, of of typically cis male violence against yeah. women and um and that's all true mm. and i think it leads to like a pessimism i think a lot a lot of a lot of women in that movement um have trauma yeah um because they'll and i say that not to patronize them but because i've you can quite clearly see it yeah. even in 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 the in the literature that they produce like yeah. whether they're blogs or their tweets or whatever yeah. and um and and it just it just feels like there's a lot of rage and trauma and anger there. Yeah. That has, uh, yeah, and probably vulnerability that has been seized upon, uh, and yeah. unfortunately, uh, it make it's directed towards the wrong enemy, and that's yeah. where the intensity comes from in some cases.
2: That's really interesting. I actually hadn't put those two things together previously because I've spent so much time trying to understand where they're coming from because i just can't get there myself um but that makes total sense because i've i've also done work around conspiracy theories and and what you're saying is that's so true that it makes sense that it would be linked back to a genuine fear which we all are entitled to of um cis male violence because it's a real and tangible problem that we have as a society um but yeah exactly as you say it's directed in the in the wrong
1: and it's so yeah and it's so it's so bizarre and, and oddly painful too because i don't i mean like most trans women i know like have experienced quite um yeah cis male violence exactly I mean, like, you know and there and and that's the thing is is that there's like a a deliberate willful closed like i don't know closed list uh, closed off listening closed off to listening or you know um part of gender critical feminism where they have very set ideas about what trans women are which is obviously mm. you know basically that we're just in in indistinct like completely indistinguishable from cis men mm. but you know even things like oh um you have no idea what it what it would have been like to be at school and be afraid of boys or whatever and it's like no i really actually, do actually i really do. <laughs> yeah. had quite a lot of trauma therapy about that yeah. um and and yeah of course there are very very significant differences in in you know like someone like me who transitioned in my 20s is that my teenage experience um perhaps has more in common with like um feminine or effeminate gay men Mm. um in some ways but nevertheless even you know gay gay men um you know like men and boys are not all it's a really unsophisticated analysis to sort of classify all men and boys as having the same socialization experience it's really different according to things like race and 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 gender nonconformity and um, sexuality—you know—it's hugely different. Yeah.
2: Before I let you go, I have to ask you about your new work because Mm. I was so excited to hear that you're writing a new book, and it's not about being trans. Yeah. (laughs) It's called Love in Exile. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said it's not about being trans, but actually, well, of course, it kind of of is. Yeah, but in a very different way. Um, So it's um, yeah, I'm right. I'm working on it at the moment. It's. um, it's a non-fiction book. It's a bit more memoiristic, but it's also, it's, it's like political essays combined with memoir. And where it where it comes from, really, is um, my interest in what, like, modern love and relationships and what they're supposed to look like from the, my own position, the in exile in the title refers to the fact that um, I have, um, for a variety of reasons, often felt quite unlovable. Um, And some of that is to do with being a trans woman and the fact that we are not considered by uh, heterosexual patriarchal standards desirable romantic partners. We're heavily stigmatized, fetishized. Um, There's a lot of shame around dating us. We can't can't biologically have children, um, which can make us undesirable partners for men. Um, And I went through a breakup just before... Uh, the pandemic hit and that was because my ex boyfriend wanted children and I don't uh and obviously it would have been more complicated anyway, but mm. I also just don't and that was a very painful we had to just end the relationship and it was very painful. Yeah. And then I realised, you know, I had this period of reflection. Like I am a trans woman in her now in her mid thirties and there is no real roadmap for what my life is supposed to look like. Yeah. Um I have like a certain affinity with like cis women who would who have decided in their mid-30s they're never going to have children. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of friends who divorced quite young. And so there's almost like this sort of like camaraderie between mm. us as not doing what the normative thing sure. for a woman is to do. Mm. And I'm interested in those ideas because like, um, yeah, when you're not on that like standard heteronormative trajectory, which for a long time I thought would really complete me. If I could just assimilate into that, yep. it would mean that I'd won and my transition had been successful. Yeah. And like, it was like a, you know, Screw you to everyone that told me that I would be undesirable. And when that doesn't work out the way you want, I'm interested in kind of what's next. So the book is... Um, looking at, like, the idea of romance and what, how even still now rom- romantic ideals still infiltrate our thinking, particularly for women and the yeah. downsides of that for women, but why they appeal so strongly to me, even though I know politically that, like, a lot of romance is kind of a sham. It's not actually how love or relationships work. Um, I'm interested in motherhood and, and, and um, looking at my own experience growing up with a single yeah. mother. Um, I'm also writing about addiction, um, because addiction really infiltrated a lot of my relationships when I was yeah. younger before I got sober, and um, and uh, Bell Hook says sort of like addiction is almost like the opposite of love. It's kind of a love that becomes like it's so, so so turned in on the self that mm. it kind of corrupts everything it touches. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's like a collection of essays that like touch on all of those things all drawn from my own personal experience but then relating to other work
2: I want to read it like now today (laughs) Uh, so I absolutely cannot wait maybe we'll get to talk again when that book comes out (laughs) I would love to read it and have a chat with you Sean Faye thank you so much for all you do for all your great work and um, I'm really excited to read what's next
1: thank you for having me
0: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves
2: I'm delighted to be partnering with Now once again for this bonus segment. Now has a great lineup of the biggest blockbusters, festive favorites, and super shows this December, like The White Lotus, which please, I implore you to watch if you haven't yet. And I know everyone's going on about it, but it is really so good. And this week, I want to talk about gifting. So, right around this time every year, panic starts to set in in my life as I realize that Christmas is a week away and I haven't bought all my presents. You would think at my good age that I would have learned my lesson. But no, every year the gift buying frenzy is finally complete and I simply delete the whole experience from my mind until around December 18th the following year. Fortunately, I consider myself quite good at buying presents, just saying. can usually get the job done on time, even if I'm starting late, for most people. But of course... As there is in everyone's life, there are some people who are more difficult to buy for than others. Traditionally, in my experience, these people tend to be moms and dads who tell you that they just want a day of peace, slash their children around them, slash just one meal with no fights, or some other vague, intangible, and let's be honest, useless suggestion. Because guess what, mom and dad's still on Christmas morning. We need to be giving you something, and you need to be opening something, or at least we need to be telling you about something that we've gotten you. Um, so, uh, just many's a year I have I have fought hard to try and give them something on Christmas morning, only to see, let's be honest, a look of disdain behind their eyes as they open the present and then assure me that they love it. One thing I did not expect to find out was that apparently now I am the person who is hard to buy for and over and over again the people in my life express frustration and uh, to be honest I find it quite frustrating. I'm like do you know me at all because I can think of loads of things I want but they keep saying you're so hard to buy for. So with that in mind as I am now one of those difficult people I have some suggestions. for things to consider when buying for the difficult people in your life. First The best gift that anyone can get is time in my opinion, in this busy day and age. So consider taking a job off their plate or dedicating some time to just, you know, spending with them a bit of togetherness. Make it specific because a general kind of I owe you one job or I'm going to take you on a day out. Those things like they just end up not happening. They fall by the wayside. People get busy. And next thing you know, it's the following December and you're like, oh, I never took you on that day out. So you need to be specific, actually like sneaking into their house where appropriate, obviously only if it's like a family member and you have the keys and you have their approval but sneaking into their house and kind of doing a job that you know they've been meaning to do like for example hanging up the pictures they've been meaning to hang up for 18 months this is me so like honestly please will someone do this please um or even just saying i've checked that you're free i've checked your schedule and we're going to go and get massages together on the 12th of january whatever is much better specificity second use all your resources Like, yes, of course, you can ask their significant other, you can ask other people in the family, you can ask their friends for suggestions. But the reality is, if you're struggling, they probably are too. So I always think it's really good to try and check their social media. If they have a Pinterest account, you can get great ideas there. If they have Twitter, check their Twitter likes you can kind of see who they follow on Instagram sometimes you can get a good idea of like brands that they're interested in that way but I know you know that's not always feasible and not every person has social media so I think the final way is just to consider how you can improve their day-to-day so I've gotten really um, focused I suppose on trying to find joy in regular moments so if the time comes up that I need to buy something that I'll use all the time like for example a kettle I'm like instead of just buying a generic kettle I'm gonna buy a beautiful one so that every time I make a cup of tea it'll bring me some joy so things like that can actually be really good gifts like a beautiful coffee mug a beautiful teapot it might not seem that glamorous or exciting at the time that you're giving it but it will be enjoyed every day and then of course subscription services you know something that arrives every month and similarly the gift of a streaming membership will always be used and enjoyed now have an offer where you can get a cinema and entertainment membership bundle half price for six months and will allow you or your gifty to stream festive films, the biggest blockbusters, and brilliant box sets over this cosy period and right throughout the year. From films like The Batman, which is streaming now, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which is coming Christmas Day, and Downton Abbey, a new era which is arriving New Year's Day, to shows like House of Dragons, Gangs of London Season 2, and of course, my beloved White Lotus. (laughs) There is loads to enjoy. Today, I actually have some three-month now cinema and entertainment memberships to give away. So if you'd like to get streaming, send me a message to the catch-up phone. That's 089 209 6423. 089 209 6423. And start your message with the word now and include your name and email. And I will pick four winners at random and announce them on next week's episode. Otherwise, head to nowtv.com to get on board. Now time to catch up on the week's entertainment news. I got to catch up with Esther O'Mar. How many times can I say catch up? I mean, I suppose it is the kind of aim of the podcast. But anyway, I got to chat to Esther O'More Donahue this morning um, about Harry and Meghan. We both devoured those first three episodes. Stephen Baer gets justice. Thank God for that. And Elon Musk fails once again. Here's Esther. Esther O'Mar Donahue. What a pleasure it is to have you back on the
0: podcast Louise Sherry, delighted to be here How are you my friend? In my own house, um, I'm great Yeah, we're just saying, getting trying to get the bits done before the end of the year I've decided to um, sort out my room of shite Absolutely unnecessary, Pouring, piling more work on myself I'm like, I need to prime this MDF immediately No one's coming to the house, but anyway, that's basically where I am I'm just <laughs> procrastinating and working and farting around I'm Yeah, sorry, time.
2: you didn't mention the clearing out the room before we started talking Why have you done that to yourself?
0: You just think you're like I get done by the end of February, March, April, May. It's now December, and I said, "Gotta get it done by the end of the year." Yeah,
2: there's something about the end of the year. I think, especially when you work for yourself, as we both do, that like you know, there's no you're giving yourself a couple of weeks off, maybe if you Mm -hmm. can swing it, Mm -hmm. just about. But like nobody else is covering for you for those couple of weeks, and the bills still have to be paid. So you've got to get all the work done before.
0: Yes. So that's why I'm procrastinating and MD like painting.
2: Well, anyway, it's what we do. It's what what we we do. Um, Well, we've got lots of showbiz to talk about. And let's start with, um, as Aoife Moore refers to him lovingly, not lovingly as, uh, renowned clown shoe Elon Musk, um, who appeared
0: like, what is Dave Chappelle doing? Dave Chappelle, Elon Musk and Kanye are all in the same WhatsApp group. They're all friends. They're all kind of, (laughs) they're all moving around together. They're in the same. They're smelling each other. They like what they smell and they're friends. And so Dave Chappelle... Incredible comedian. He's been, you know, has a great career. Performed the other night in San Francisco and in front of 18,000 fans, all paid good money to see Dave Chappelle. And then at the end of the gig, like a fart in a hot lift, <laughs> he welcomes on, which is a well-known phrase. It's not a well-known phrase, but I'm trying to get that trending. Let's try to get that trending for 2023, please. Let me my dreams come true. Like a fart in a hot lift, Elon Musk up to the stage. Like, and... People were not; they were not happy. No, and it was awkward because I think probably when you're that, I think when you're that rich and you're so, he's, Elon Musk is worth one hundred and seventy six point eight billion, <sighs> and you're sniffing each other, and you're all in the same rich soup, and you're living kind of apart from reality and in reality, and then your friend is like, who sold out a stadium? Come up on the stage, come on, Elon! Everyone wants to, and then people are just like. No.
2: Yeah, but they're
0: kind of thinking, yeah, this will be fine. This will be good. And he just—it's their egos.
2: Their egos are so off the charts. Like they don't—they're not connected to reality, yeah. and to actual public perception or how people feel about anything. But they think that they are. It's wild to watch.
0: Yeah, and it was—it was a—it was, a, it was a, a phone-free gig. You know, those yonder bags—you put your phone in. Yeah. But somebody had a little sneaky peek. That's why we got the video. And the booze were kind of relentless. And he couldn't kind of recover. And maybe that you think yeah he was trying to make jokes but he was like I just gotta get out of here and then Elon couldn't handle the couldn't handle the stress of it and just sort of shuffled off of course off was he like, couldn't. well no I broke up with you kind of thing and as people were <laughs> booing him off the stage you know he was just sort of it wasn't it wasn't graceful but Ugh. yeah so he's um, a pathetic character yeah, it's, it's tricky, so... I did enjoy it. Someone on Twitter referred to him as a space Karen, which I enjoyed. A space Karen, that's good, <laughs> that's good. And so at one point, Chappelle encouraged Musk to repeat a catchphrase from a sketch show, I'm rich, bitch, which... again went down like a lead balloon or as we're trying to get trending a fart in a hot lift yes fart in a hot lift hashtag fart in a hot lift
2: yeah Yeah. not good not good well big mistake Dave Chappelle he continues to make big mistakes Um, okay next up let's talk about Stephen Bear Um, now As I said, actually, earlier in this episode, every once in a while, I like to throw a slightly showbiz-oriented story into Aoife's slot, um, just to give her a bit of relief, really. (laughs) Um, And this is one that we did a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately, there's no relief in this, because it is a story of human horror Stephen Bear. Yeah, he's,
0: he's, yeah, just, I don't know how people are wired. So, Stephen Bear, you probably don't know now, because he had a bit of a, if you were watching kind of... Reality shows a few years ago, he was all over them. Like you know, celebrities on the beach, minor celebrities in a in a yacht. You know, (laughs) do you know all these weird dating shows? You're dating me, I'm dating you. So, and these dating shows, and he's on Celebrity Big Brother, and doing blah blah blah. Anyway, he was sort of like he his shtick was I'm gonna say the most outrageous thing and be shocking and be kind of gross and I'm kind of a lad. But then he kind of you know anyway he that was he had a shtick going, but it turns out like you think. Is this just an act he's putting on? But he sort of really leaned into it, and he's kind of leaned into the worst side of himself. Anyway, uh, there was a following a, tr- a trial at Chelmsford Crown Court in Essex. The former reality star Stephen Bear was found guilty of voyeurism by a majority verdict and guilty to uh, to two counts of disclosing private sexual photographs and films with intent to cause distress by a unanimous verdict. Um, after a jury uh, deliberated on the evidence, which was. So horrible It was awful Um, So he, he was He was accused of planning To film himself having sex With the Love Island star Georgia Harrison Um, At his home in August 2020 Yeah yeah, and her testimony
2: was like Really heartbreaking we talked about it a couple of weeks ago On the pod like she you know She talked about being traumatised and you know How it really impacted her life and how She didn't know they were being filmed and then when she did She asked him to stop and then she asked him not to Share it and he did and then he like made it cheaper So that more people could see it and like Mm -hmm. He is just rotten to his core And
0: he he showed kind of Like just disregard for the whole um, The whole trial and her suffering because he he you know he rented car he's renting these big cars and he was wearing costumes going into court and like trying to just again play into this, lean into this persona taking the piss yeah. out of it and it, it was really gross and he still and then I was so I was googling videos of him last night on YouTube and stuff and there was some dating show he did and at one stage the the person the whatever dating expert brought his parents in to kind of say this guy is he's treating not treating this one well and his mom was like Stephen we did what and he she was listening all these things and the dad was like oh, you know kind of like you know so uh. if it you know, it's a weird dynamic move the dad was always encouraged and think he's kind of a lad and he's all kind of a joke but that's such a violation and it was incredibly distressing obviously yeah um and uh Georgia waived her right to anonymity I mean I mean people knew kind of it was, or it was out yeah, there on social media. Exactly. But she said, I don't want this to ever happen to another woman again. I'm hurt. I'm upset. I deserve justice for what I've been through and he deserves consequences. And, you know, I... He's going to be sentenced in January so we'll see um, we'll see what happens. Now in Ireland since the since February uh, 2021 new laws apply to the sharing of intimate images without consent of the person in the images yeah. and if you record, distribute or publish intimate images without the permission of um, the person featured in the images uh, you're guilty of the offence so you could uh, depending on the different uh, you know the, your intent of sharing the images you could face a maximum prison sentence up to seven years for like yeah. we'll say colloquially revenge porn yeah. Um and there's I think the campaign at the moment going around on Irish TV about that like just yeah, passing on it and it kind of seems such a, a passive thing and yeah. you think no one's gonna you know you're passing on to one person or whatever but yeah. you don't know who, how that image is gonna be disseminated no. anyway and it's a crime exactly. so you, you don't know where it
2: came from and yeah, yeah 100% so it's just not acceptable and yeah. I am i couldn't be happier for someone to be found guilty Um, like you know the thing is I don't think that anything's gonna change this man and what's, I th- what I find personally very upsetting is that like you know he's got a 23 year old hot girlfriend who has her own only Fans' career, and I can never understand how women can see that someone has repeatedly, because he has a bad track record, kind of mistreat women in relationships, and then be like, "Oh yeah, that's the man I want."
0: But I think maybe in sometimes I don't know, I don't know about their dynamic. But you think, well, I'm going to be the one, and he doesn't do that to me. But maybe he'll turn on you someday, and it's maybe it's kind of safe when you're in that kind of. Yeah no I think you're right And also like you know I don't want to
2: Obviously he is the problem And I don't want to blame The women around him But equally I just oh, Come on girls We can do better than that yeah. Okay Taylor Swift Is a director now
0: Yes well On IMDb Miss Swift is listed as, ha- listed as having acted in 72 projects So basically she's Got acting credits For her, her videos Okay um, And I mean, she also she
2: act in them I suppose, she, Well she yeah. was
0: in Cats And she was in Cats <laughs> Did you see Have you, have you watched Cats? <laughs> I have not I always say cats watching the musical the film version of cats is like watching if I was directing the film cats the proportions are way out it's like <laughs> a giant cat a tiny cat it's no relation to the side of the curb it's bananas It's, not, it's and James Corden's in it did idea. you enjoy it? no I couldn't even watch it. And I like like watching trash. See, this is my thing. you
2: know. Yeah, we both love trash. And even I couldn't bring myself to watching it. I'll be honest. I went to see my aunt and uncle. uh, Sue, if you're listening, this is no reflection on you. Brought me to Cats in the West End from, I think it was my 16th (laughs) birthday. And I was... We are cats. We are cats. We're over (laughs) here. We're over there. Hopping up but hopping down. <laughs> like I enjoyed it and it is as a as a West End musical it's remarkable because like they come out into the crowd and they like crawl along oh. in front of you and they really really act like cats like they
0: get all of the <laughs> <laughs> I mean for a moment I believe there actually was a cat and no, but all the mannerisms, like the like, yeah.
2: you know, licking their paw. I'm Eloise licking my paw. Louise is licking her paw, doing a very good cat impression. <laughs> they do all the like, you know, paw licks and all the things that yeah. the cats do, and it is quite remarkable when Pull someone's doing face. it. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Look at my asshole. Yeah. Um, but they, but when you know it's happening in front of you in the West End, like it's pretty remarkable. But I, but still, I wouldn't say that Cats <laughs> is my favorite musical. Yeah. On tea, on a
0: movie? In a movie? No, no, no thank you. Not at all. Anyway, she's an actor. She was in Cats and also most recently Amsterdam, directed by David O. Russell. And then she also has 15 director credits already for her music videos. All right. And um, she's now written a, f- a film script and she has signed a new deal with Fox Searchlight Pictures. Mmm. So, uh, there's no further details, no plot, no casting an- announcements, but, and she's going on tour... Um next year starting in March so and it's going until August so when she's going to make this film we don't know but Swifties will love this and I'm um, you know based it'll on the numbers be it'll be a hit yeah
2: yeah, it'll probably be grand what I'd like is a kind of half decent romance or rom-com or like indie indie drama
0: yeah maybe she'll direct the holiday no she's written the script so she won't Although be directing the holiday how indie could
2: too. it possibly be it wouldn't be that indie
0: it'll be set in New York
2: mm. we don't know what she's going to do welcome to New York she can't use that song because it's already the theme of pets the animated yeah. film. Okay. It's, my children love it. Okay, well, we'll watch with interest. Uh, well done, Taylor. Uh, well done, Taylor. G Swift. Well done. Um, now, let's get to the main event. Harry and Meghan on Netflix. Don't you mean H and Meg? <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. How excuse me. Yeah.
0: H and Meg. Has and hate, has H hate or Meg.
2: <laughs> I'm happy to say I devoured the first three episodes within the first 24 hours of their release.
0: You know, it's like you go, I'm just going to have, I'm going to have this one biscuit and that's it. Yeah. I... <laughs> Did not move. <laughs> I drank them in. I sucked them up with my little straw. <laughs> Delicious. So yeah.
2: And what was your what was
0: your take? So my here are my thoughts. Everyone wants to know what Esther's thoughts are on h and Meg's documentary. I mean, I didn't expect them. They were selling me on the love story. I really thought, oh, they are in love. It kind of seemed affectionate. It kind of seemed yeah. real. They were making their good points, but. I guess they're they're setting out a stall to kind of I don't know, sell products or build their yeah, media like-
2: I think so. I'll tell you what, what I think. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt your thoughts. You. My um, brain is. And I'm going to interrupt your thoughts for my more important thoughts. Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs>
2: no, go for an L. <laughs> I don't think my thoughts are more important. I just literally can't keep it in. I've been watching people's response to this, and there's been so much discussion about it. And we'll talk about some of the things. And like, I just, I, I don't know. I can't get like aggravated about it. Like people are like, oh, for God's sake, they're so privileged. It's just a PR exercise, and I'm like, yes, obviously. They have made this documentary like it was always going to be it's their story Mm -hmm. from their perspective. That's the whole point. So you're only getting their side. Like, of course, it's going to be like that.
0: Yeah of course I'm not going to be like If I'm getting a documentary made And I'm getting 100, paid 100 million I'm going to be like Oh can you shoot me from this angle Like from the floor yeah. Get me looking in bits And like, find my enemies please And yeah. have them speak about me Like obviously yeah, not No I drag it in It is it is what it is It's fine It's and candy I, floss for the The eyes. only thing that I, I didn't Like I found Sometimes when they were like H and Haz and Mega, I was like it was, yeah. just seemed like Kind of forced Informality But look that's what She called H That's what she called H And then when she did The Queen's curtsy thing I felt like, like That's a bit It was It went on for too long When she did the fake bow Yeah I was like Well I think people I actually think I'm gonna do A bonus episode Specifically
2: on this doc series By the way um, I've been in, Myself and James Covenant Have been saying We need to have an extended Conversation about it um, But I'm gonna wait Until all the episodes are out So like I think um, The the, what what people find particularly jarring is the kind of pretense that she didn't know who he was or like didn't really understand the, the royal family or like that they weren't a big deal like that's kind of hard to stomach I think like everybody knew who he was um, I mean I'm not suggesting that she knew the ins and outs or like she was super into it or super obsessed but like it would only take a little google you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. to immediately sorry prince who? Yeah, Prince, yeah, yeah. Like you know, you can you can don't kid a a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah so uh, yeah. that's a little bit. But I do genuinely. I kind of take them at face value, and and I I'm I don't think that they're bad people. I don't think they have bad intentions. I think they really are in love with each other. I think they genuinely want to do good in the world, and I think that yes, obviously they're really fucking privileged. Mm-hmm. Like there is no getting away from that. Prince Harry will never get away from the fact that he grew up, you know, with many 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 advantages. However he also had disadvantages because it's not normal to be hounded by the paparazzi every day of your life in the way that he was. It's not normal to have your mom die in the way that she was and for her to be mourned by the world. Like the way he described kind of the aftermath of her death, like, you know, they had to immediately put the brave face on and go out into the world and like, and and everyone else was grieving their literal mother. Like, can you imagine how annoying that would be to be like, you don't even know her, Mm. you know, and he doesn't say that, but like, you know, so... You know, I get, I get it. People are like, oh, he's had an easy life or like "You know, he's lucky and th- they're lucky. And they are, obviously. You know, he's never had to worry about putting food in, on the table. He's, you know, he's never mm-hmm. had to worry about having a home. All of those things are true. But he has had weird stresses <laughs> and disadvantages that none of us will ever understand at mm-hmm. the same time. I'm not saying they're on a par, but
0: like, I think,
2: you know, people... It's like different kind of, thing
0: that you ha- You just... Like, like it is, you know, it's an accident of birth that they're born into this privilege, but it's a weird thing that then... And they've chosen not to do it like that. You have to kind of just squash yourself and fall into the role and go up and open garden centers. And that yeah. has its value. And I know it's a whole, it feeds into the bigger kind of UK brand and the, you know, the, the economics of all that. Yeah, the but business of the market. To monarchy. have to go, oh, maybe that, maybe that suits you fine. You want to do that. You love go, traveling all over the place and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. if you're not, if you want to do something else, you're like, oh, I've got to just do this. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. 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 Anyway,
2: um there there's more to come. Three new episodes out today as we speak because we're recording on Thursday. So um we will this will be discussed again. Um but you know, a few just points. It it is
0: Netflix's biggest documentary
2: yet. Um uh,
0: yes, it is uh I've got some little facts here for you, factoids. Um it is the first three episodes of Harry and Meghan recorded eighty-one point five million viewing hours around the world. No, wait, sorry. Is that right? Or is it billion? Billion? I don't know. Well, more than 28 million, million. households oh, sorry. watched uh, at least part <laughs> I of the series. 81.55 billion. <laughs> I don't know how many people are there even on the planet. <laughs> 86 billion people. I don't know. Elon Musk is worth 178 billion. So divided by two and carry the nine. Um, <laughs> and it was uh, yeah behind the Tim Burton's Addams Family drama Wednesday and stuff. So basically... A load of people watched it yeah. and a load more are going to watch it and it's going to be revisited and it was in the top t- uh, 10 um, of Netflix most watched shows in 85 countries so they've done well for themselves and as I said before they're paid between 100 and 150 million dollars yeah. for that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy. But also I think it's kind of funny the way, I mean that's just, it is a business and that's the nature of it but that the other sides of the family they're really pushing William and Kate yeah. in a way and so, you know, someone came in and said Kate's a big hugger. You know, so all these sources are coming out. She loves soaking people, she never stops soaking people, she yeah. can't put people down. <laughs> because Jeez. because Megan basically said that like when she kind of joined the royal family, she was
2: surprised by the yeah. formality behind closed doors, mm-hmm. in addition to the formality kind of in, in front.
0: She didn't say Kate Middleton is formal and yeah. like, doesn't hug people. Yeah. But like but they have them, they have the, the new Christmas card coming out, them walking in jeans and then she's yeah. decorating a tree. And she's they're like, gonna we're be, normal. They're going to do Kate Kate's elf on the shelf now. It's going to be just, and I'm not slagging off her. Like she, that's a hard position to be in as well. Like it's just a weird, weird way to live your life or whatever. But.
2: Well, what I will say is I would watch 150 hours of Harry and Meghan. I just would. Yeah. Like it's just who I am. And, yeah. you know, I saw that the kind of you know, Rotten tomato score online is like 50%. I don't care. Like, it's not about whether it's good or not. It's about <laughs> having access to these two people that yeah. some of us are just fascinated by and interested in. And I think they're both pretty charming. And I, I will take it in in the same way that I would eat 17 bag of cheesy puffs. Yeah. There's not a lot of substance there. No. And I won't even necessarily enjoy it by the 17th bag, but I'll still be shoveling them in.
0: Maybe I'll be puking on myself by the end of the next three episodes and surrounded (laughs) by empty packets of uh, crisps. That's just my lifestyle, and that's my choice, and I choose my choice. It's my choice. It's Mm -hmm. my it's
2: my lifestyle. Um, Esther, thank you so much. It has been a joy to once again be together. Have you have I won't speak to you now till well I will. We're going for dinner tonight, yeah. But um, then I won't speak to you on this podcast until until the new year.
0: (laughs) Yes, thrilling. But in the meantime, of course, look at me pushing myself already. Yes. In the meantime, of course, you know you could listen to me and talk to Emer McIlroyson on my other podcast, not my other podcast, podcast Emer and Esther Sunday roast with Emer and Esther where we yep. discuss the joy of a carvery and roast potatoes and that's a real podcast I'm not making this no, up no it really is it really is a podcast well I,
2: they've heard it recommended on here before by oh. me in my recommendations and I will once again endorse it's a good wholesome fun yeah. listen can't recommend it enough great mm-hmm. if you're say driving home for Christmas it would be a great thing to have on in the car just saying if you've listened to obviously all of Catch Up with Louise MacSharry, <laughs> yes. um, but uh, no highly 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 encourage you um, featuring obviously Esther and Emer McLeisett co-author of the Ashing Books and regular contributor to this podcast Mm. Esther, I love you. I love you too. Farewell. Now, Palzos, it is just about time for me to go. Thank you so, so much for being with me again this week. I know I bang on about it, but truly, I'm so grateful to you for listening. And I'm so glad that you like this. Every time I meet one of you, uh, it, it just makes my day, like fully makes my day. Um, so I, I really am so grateful to you for sticking with me. Um, in terms of recommendations, I've got kind of weird, some weird ones this week. Like you would think that given the fact that I was in Heathrow Airport for like an entire 24 hours, I would have like consumed some good stuff. But no, all I did was watch season two of My Unorthodox Life, which is um, a reality show on Netflix. If you're not aware, it's about this woman, Julia Hart, who left an orthodox, kind of quite conservative Jewish community to become a non-religious person um, and uh, became very successful in business and stuff. And the first series is about her and her family kind of transitioning out of that super orthodox community. Um, And the second season is about her divorce, basically. I can't even like, I don't even know if I'm recommending it. I just, I watched it. And I will watch more like I, it's just one of those things it just kind of goes down easy and if you need something that's like not going to be super challenging you know yeah it's there it's there for you if you are a plus size woman I want to recommend Mango to you um, the shop not the fruit I mean eat what you want I do love the fruit I will say but I kind of Mango used to have a, a designated plus size range called Violetta that's no longer the situation now they have quite a significant not all but quite a significant portion of their stock just goes into extended sizes um and they go up to a 4x it's really nice stuff in my opinion like it's a bit conservative like there's nothing that's gonna you know if you're a crazy dresser like me it's not gonna blow your mind in that regard but if you want like a nice pair of leather leggings or like a nice jumper or a blazer or a coat you can get really good stuff there so have a look i also want to recommend to you pepperoni pizza mini jambons from golden bake Uh, they're so delicious they're not jambans obviously because you need the ham and cheese to make it officially a jambon. but they have um, mozzarella and pepperoni in them and like a bit of tomato sauce they're so nice just if you're hungover or as a nice snack and then finally like everyone else I've been listening to Sizz's new album S.O.S. which is spectacular so good I would argue potentially perfect Anyway, that's all I have for you my friends. Don't forget to get in touch if you've got thoughts, opinions on anything I've talked about today or we've talked about today. If you have feelings, if there's things that you'd like me to talk about on the podcast that I'm not talking about, please get in touch. Send me a voice note. I love to hear from you. Like and I and I really want you guys to have the opportunity to hear each other too so that we can get a sense of this community because every time I get to meet you guys all the time and you're all amazing, but you guys don't get to meet each other. So Let's get a feel for each other, guys. Number is 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. I hope you have a good week. And as I always say, if you can't have a good week, don't worry about it. Just put one foot in front of the other and we will be back together next Friday. Thank you to all of my wonderful contributors and to ACAST for having me on the network. I will talk to you then.